Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome back to the Rock Chalk Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz, and I am joined tonight by Steve Fetch. How are you doing tonight, Steve? Hey, good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. And I just realized for the first time, I think I called you Steve instead of Fetch. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so obviously a huge week for Kansas this, this last week. Um, you know, a couple of victories to go ahead and wrap up the Big 12 uh, title there in outright fashion. Um, I think I think everybody was kind of a little surprised by the way it, it ended, but probably not actually that surprised when they really thought about it. Um, huge, obviously huge, huge victories for Kansas, clinching um, at least a share going on the road against Texas Tech, and then getting the outright title on senior night against Texas. Um, let's go ahead and start with that Texas Tech game. Um, other than the fact you know that that Keenan Evans was definitely hobbled and and. You know, Gimpy during that game was having a lot of problems. Were there any big takeaways you took from that game, um, or was it kind of hard to take anything definitive because of the the injury to Evans? Well, I think I think the big one, I guess, is just how uh, dependent Texas Tech is on him. Um, you know, they were uh, they're obviously have been a, a much different team uh, without him, and and even though he didn't play very well in the in the win in Allen Fieldhouse, uh, you know they've lost three in a row without him or, you know, without a healthy him. And so just, you know, from a, a big 12 centric point of view, they obviously need him back uh, from, from a KU point of view. I think one thing I was pretty encouraged about is uh, they were able to pretty much score at will against them. Uh, and, you know, they did a pretty good job in that first meeting too, of getting a lot of open looks and, and they shot, I think over 60% on twos and Texas tech is obviously the class of the big 12 defensively. So the fact that they can, do that against Texas Tech makes me think that they can probably do that uh, against really anybody uh, in the conference or in the country. Um, and, and, you know, Texas Tech it does a really good job of forcing turnovers in, in Kansas. Like I always say, they commit some really dumb ones, but don't really commit a lot of them. Uh, just 10 in that game, 16% of their possessions, which is really low. So uh, the fact that they can do that, and obviously, you know, the fact that they shot so well, uh, not just from three, but were able to to get kind of whatever the look they wanted inside as well, uh, really makes me confident uh, or hopeful for the NCAA tournament that uh, if they do lose, it's it's not going to be because they're just totally outclassed. Because I, I think they're kind of proving that when they're on, they can score against anybody. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely think with you know all the talk was about how Texas Tech is far and away the best defense in the Big Twelve this year, and while that that's been true, if you look at the ratings, the fact that you know, I think Evans has kind of made a bigger impact on defense in terms of like what we've seen being the difference. Um, him being a little hobbled, he hasn't been able to make that impact on defense. 
Um, the, the one, I think the main takeaway that I get from this, though, is the fact that while most teams have that one player, especially in the Big 12, have that one player where if he's out, it's hard for the rest of the team, you know, to really kind of make up the difference. Um, you know, you think Wigington for Iowa State, uh, Trey Young, obviously, for Oklahoma, you know, Keenan Evans for Texas Tech. And, I mean, we can go through and name a bunch of other ones, Javon Carter for West Virginia. Um, Kansas does, doesn't really have that. When they were going through all the problems, it took Svee and Vic having really bad nights or Svee and Newman, you know, or Devontae Graham had to be off and everyone else had to be just mediocre. I mean, we had to have a lot of our guys have problems or multiple major contributors have problems for us to really have a bad game, um, which I think is definitely something that's going to be helpful for us going into the tournament because, yeah, you could have a guy that has a bad night. Uh, it's not very often that you're going to have, you know, multiple guys have a bad night, especially in that. In that. Now, of course, I say that, but we all think back to that Oregon game where, um, you know, in last year where they, I think we had like three different players that were just completely off, but that also took, you know, the opponent just going absolutely ballistic from three. So, I mean, while it, we, we definitely know what can happen, I don't think it's nearly as likely that we're going to see the kind of problems we've had where Kansas is just really, really cold and they've got multiple players that aren't doing anything. Yeah, Graham, I mean, Graham's obviously the the guy that, you know, if he's out, uh, you're in trouble. But it for me, Graham, a lot of Graham's value is just kind of being on the floor. Uh, you're right in that if he – it's having a bad game. Kansas certainly has guys who can kind of take the torch from them and, and, you know, they can dump it into Azubuki or, you know, Malik Newman will have their, his, uh, his good game or, or Svee and what have you. But uh, a lot of Graham's value is just, you know, being on the floor and, and being a, a good decision maker and, and being almost like a safety net where you get late in the shot clock and nothing's really happening. And you can just give it to him and say, okay, do something. And, and a lot of times he will. So, uh, I think that in terms of staying on the floor, he has just as much value as a as a Keenan Evans or a, a Javon Carter or a guy like that. But definitely agree in terms of if he has a bad game, uh, Kansas can recover from it at least offensively uh, more so than a lot of these other guys. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm just going through some of their games. Like when when KU barely beat Iowa State, yeah, Graham had an off night, uh, but Vic had an off night too. Azubuke only scored nine points, but Newman and and, and Svee went off completely and won that game for us. You know, um, let's see, Devontae Graham went off against Kansas State. That was barely a win, but he did enough by himself, you know, to get us there. Um, the the game when we beat at West Virginia, everybody had an off night. Graham still ended up scoring second most points for the team. But, I mean, everybody was, was mediocre that night, and we still were able to pull out the win. Um, you know, just going through a few more. I mean, you know, Newman came on real, real strong in that Baylor game that we won at home. You know, so every time we've had a guy that you think is the key guy for Kansas have an off night, um, you know, we've had someone else kind of step up and, and will us to a victory. I think the one exception to that would be down in, in Oklahoma, you know, where Newman and, and Svee did what they normally do when, when Graham, you know, Graham only scored 11 points, but really – you know, if, if Azubuke is not in at the end of the game to shoot those free throws, there's a good chance we, we end up winning that game too. So, you know, despite the, the fact that Kansas has had problems and they've had players that have had issues, we have enough other guys that are able to step up whenever it's needed that we're at least going to be extremely competitive. I've yet to see a case where we just get blown out because everybody is having problems or, you know, one guy is off and, and the rest of the team falls apart. We have enough guys, we have enough good leadership on this team that they're able to to rally around each other. And Devontae Graham, even when he's not performing to his peak, he's able to find other ways to win. I I can't remember how many articles we've had by, by Jesse Newell or, or other writers talking about how much Graham contributes to the team and how much he props up this team, even when he's not playing his best ball. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's really, really good going forward for us. Um, and anything though else specifically about the Texas Tech game that you wanted to call out? Uh, not really. I mean, I, I think, again, just, you know, the offense uh, coming back to where it was early in the season when uh, they got really hot. And that, and that, I mean, stretches back to the Oklahoma game as well and the West Virginia game as well, where when they're on, and this is something that I think a lot of people have been saying all year uh, that Kansas is, I, I don't really know the best way to phrase this, but it's, it's almost like uh, 
Kansas's tournament is theirs to lose in a way because if they're shooting this many threes and they're making this many threes, it's just going to be tough regardless of how good the teams that they're playing are to to keep up with them. And I in no way mean to say that Kansas is one of the best, even five teams. I don't think that that's true. But uh, in a lot of sense, they're they're the most dangerous team just because of the guys that they have around the perimeter. And that's not even accounting for a guy like LeGerald Vick, who when he gets hot, definitely can, can shoot it from deep as well. So uh, just really nice to see that offense get going again. Um, defense is kind of back to struggling a little bit, but uh, at the same time, I think some of that might just be you know, a lack of depth again, kind of catching up to them where they can only uh, really play it in spurts. And I don't think we'll really know uh, how good the defense is or isn't until the NCAA tournament actually starts. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I'm necessarily too worried about the defense. The, the most important thing with the defense is that we've seen that they can clamp down on a team when they really have to. Um, you know, this this team, other than that, I guess, the I always hear Rock Chalk Blog talk about a meat necklace game, which I think is a really good way to describe it. Um, you know, that game against Oklahoma – like, that's the last time that we actually really blew an opponent out. Um, and obviously that was – I think that says more about how much Oklahoma's falling apart than it does about um, how well Kansas was playing on defense there because o- Oklahoma still got quite a few good open looks and they just weren't hitting them at all. Um, but, you know, this, this team has shown the ability to play that close game, do what they need to do on, on defense to give themselves that explosiveness on offense and be able to pull out a victory on most days. So – um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not really too concerned about the defense. Um, obviously, when we get to you know uh, elite eight or or something like that, if if we get to that point, um, you know there is going to be the concern because the uh, the opposing offense is going to be pretty good too, and they'll probably have a defense to match. But you know at that point, you're going to be playing good teams regardless. So, all right. So I, I guess that's that's all there really is to say about the Texas Tech game. Uh, shifting over to the Texas game. Obviously, high high emotions. It's senior night. Clay Young gets his first start, um, you know, as a as a senior there. Actually, played for a, about four minutes before he got pulled out, and I thought he actually played pretty well. Um, but any other any other takeaways from that? Obviously, uh, Texas didn't have Mobamba, so it was really easy for the team to go inside and, and try to get their points that way. Um, and so we 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 actually see a lot of inside shots, um, not nearly as many three pointers as we're used to seeing. Uh, but that's kind of to be expected. But was was there anything in that game that really surprised you? No, I mean they they kind of played like a team that you know knew they had it wrapped up and knew that they probably were going to win with no Mo Bamba and stuff. So they kind of got that lead, and and Texas never really went away, but they actually or they also never really got close either. So it was kind of Kansas would get up by fifteen or sixteen or whatever, and and Texas would mount a little bit of a run and get it down to eight or seven and. Then Kansas would just kind of say, "Oh, that's, that's enough of this." So right, time to play some defense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I think there's there's probably some you know senior night nerves too, where you know it was last game in Allen Fieldhouse, and and I think the guys were kind of feeling that as well. And uh, let's let's uh, let's give Clay Young his due here too. I think you're right. I mean, he he played fine. Um, obviously, the the crowning moment of his career is uh, that Syracuse game uh, where he came right. off the bench when there was some foul trouble. Uh, played played pretty well in that game, actually. I mean, got uh, 12 minutes. Um, you know, I, I remarked uh, about this during the game. I don't think I actually tweeted it, but I said it to someone I was watching the game with and said, you know, if, if he would have gone to, uh, you know, like a Bradley even or like, a, you know, a lower level school, I bet he could have had a nice uh, little career. Obviously, he's 6'4 or whatever, so he, he can't really play inside, but you know, he, you can tell he knows how to play and, and he plays hard and everything like that. So, uh, kudos to, to, uh, Clay Young, uh, Lansing, Kansas is on. I have no idea where Lansing, Kansas is. That's probably because I'm not a Kansas native, but yeah, I don't know where it is either. Okay. And I lived in Kansas for a good 15 years. So I have no idea. So, but I'm, I'm sure all, you know, 35 TV sets or whatever there are there. We're all tuned to senior night watching Clay Young's first start. Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit bigger than that. But yeah, I mean, obviously everybody was was there to to you know was was tuned into it that knew him and was from the area most likely. But um, you know, statistical oddities for for Clay Young. You talked about his Syracuse game. I think he had the highest offensive rating 
which I think says more about the offensive rating statistic than it does about what he did. In that game against the, against Syracuse, he had 12 uh he played 12 minutes. Looks like he used 1% of the possession, so I'm not sure how that works. Um but had one assist and had an offensive rating of 241 with no points scored. Which is, yeah, off, yeah, offensive rating is not really the stat to look at for single game. Right. Stuff. No, I just thought I just thought it was kind of funny. Yeah, that's, <laughs> to, that's, to look that's at that. partly why. But then, you know, last night he was able to avoid getting the four trillion uh, because he did get that one assist, um, which was a really, really nice pass over to to Doak there, um, which which got the crowd going a lot. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if there's much more to say about Clay Young. Obviously, it was a great career for him. I would love to see him get some tournament minutes, um, and hopefully, we get to the point where he can get that, even if it's you know just really, really early. Um, you know, he he had some tournament minutes last year, so he uh, looks like he got six last year. So let's hope he can get more than that this year, um, which will mean, you know, that we're – Yeah, things, we're things are probably going days. well if he is getting – well, either either really well or really bad, I guess. Well, if he's yeah, getting more than good six point, good minutes. point. Yeah, so – but he actually, <laughs> he actually played in three of the four games last year in the Big 12 tournament. He played three minutes against UC Davis, which I would have thought it would have been more. Uh, played a minute against Michigan State and then two against Purdue. So let's see if we can get him – more minutes in that first weekend so that some of these guys can get some rest and get ready for that second weekend. There we go. But anyway, um, so more, more on, on the Texas game. Obviously there's not a lot we can take away from the game just because of all the injuries that that Texas had. I will say the red uniforms. While I I do like the red look. I got myself confused a few times. Um, Specifically, I'm trying to remember what the name of the player is for Texas that wears number 21. Uh, I've got it right here for, uh, Wait, yeah, I guess that's Osikowski. Oh, I, can, I, can yeah. I can never say his name. For some reason, he's like the one name in the entire conference I can't really say. Osikowski, there we go. Um, there was a couple times he made a play, and for some, for whatever reason, I was thinking that was Kansas, and I'm like, oh, Clay's back out there, and then realized, oh, wait a minute, that's Texas that, that's wearing white for whatever reason. So, um, But, I mean, overall, I think I like the look. I, I do wish that they would do it occasionally, but I can kind of understand – why they don't. I mean, red's not really one of our main colors. So, but what were your thoughts on those red uniforms? Uh, I liked them. Uh, you know, Bill Self talks about uh, not liking them for luck purposes. I had no idea Bill Self was. So, I don't understand uh, that either because I don't know that he, I think someone was looking at this. It's, it's not like he has a horrible record with the red, with the red jersey. Well, it, it was more so I, I guess, and I, I don't know all this, but I guess someone got hurt wearing them one time and then someone got hurt wearing them the next time or something like that. So, Oh, okay. uh, that's, that's why he doesn't like me. I think I think one year Larry Brown uh, might have been Larry Brown's first year or second year or something when they were in the Final Four they wore them and lost. So uh, for that reason he he doesn't really like them. But uh, I do. Um, I saw in the in the uh, game notes after the game that the last time they wore it was when they played uh, North Dakota, my other alma mater, in like 2011 right. or whatever that was. So yeah, that was during the tournament, right? Uh, no, it wasn't. It was a it was a regular season game. Uh, oh, I, I must be thinking. I think they must have played like North Dakota State or something. They, yeah, they did. That was okay. cold. That was the year after the title year. So. Oh, that's right. Okay. Uh, but okay. yeah, I I like them. I mean, it's nice to have a it's nice to have a change of pace. I get yelled at this one for all the time all the time whenever I bring it up. But I think they should have the the yellows every once in a while as well. So. I don't know about that. But, yeah, like, I know. I'm I'm the only one on that island. Like. I think I wouldn't mind seeing it like once just to see if it's as bad as I remember it being, but <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think they should make that a regular thing, but maybe on like a throwback night or something like that, you know, do it once just for posterity's sake. Yeah. I think you could throw back to that era. No problem. All right. Okay. So um, any, any other thoughts on the, on the Texas game? Well, just, just back to what you're saying about Clay Young's first assist to Azubuki to get him going, uh, man, did that get him going, you know, oh, obviously man, no, yeah. no Mo Bamba, but you know, almost set the record or the KU record for makes without a miss. Uh, oh, I know. And, yeah. So close. Ended up 10 for 11. Uh, the free throw issues seem to be back a little bit. He did definitely not look comfortable at the line, which, you know, things are, things are going to go in, in fits and starts for him there, which is fine. I'm not really. As long as you can keep it to you know mid forty percent or so, I'm not terribly worried. Um, the other thing too, you know, uh, four blocks, five blocks. Uh, defensively, right. he's he's really upped his game uh, lately. Not just with the blocks, but 
with the help defense, uh, he's gotten a lot better on the defensive glass. Right, and definitely just, on the glass. Yeah, just is someone that maybe even more so than Graham, someone that Kansas really needs to have in the game. There are certain opponents, I think, where Mitch Lightfoot is fine against. Obviously, like the Oklahoma game, I think he's mostly okay. Uh, I think the uh, the Texas Tech game, uh, he was somewhat okay, but uh, really any kind of like big big man he's going to struggle against just because he's still a little bit undersized in terms of in terms of weight and muscle and stuff and that's probably going to be an issue that's going to follow him for his whole career where he's just going to be better against teams with maybe smaller big men but yeah uh, so definitely not saying that he is you know not good or anything like that but just against teams with with bigger big men it's really important for Azubuki to be out there both offensively and defensively because you can't dump it in and get two free points against him. Uh, he's really just as good of a rim protector uh, when he wants to be as, as Lightfoot is. And then offensively, he's just a, I mean, just an incredible weapon that really Kansas, I mean, for all the talk about good post players and stuff, uh, if they had guys who could pass it into the post a little bit better than they do, I mean, we'd be talking about him, you know, up there with, some of the best big men Kansas has ever had with the way he can get position down low and the way he's improved his back to the basket game. I mean, he's, he's turning over his right shoulder and making left-handed hooks now, and he's doing the up and under really well. And uh, even when he, when he gets guys to bite on his fake, he can, uh, you know, have the presence of mind to sit there and gather himself and usually not travel. I think he did it. It was either the Texas game or the Texas tech game where he did, but uh, for the most part, I mean, he's just, uh, just improving in leaps and bounds over the course of the year. And it, it kind of reminds me of, and he's never going to be this guy, but it, it kind of reminds me of the way Embiid would improve, you know, break out a new skill every like second or third game. So, Oh yeah. Uh, yeah no, definitely, I, definitely good uh, company to be in there. And again, not, not saying that he's as good as Embiid was obviously, but definitely a lot of things that he can do just the way he can move at his size and the way he seems to learn the game and stuff reminds me a lot uh, of him. Yeah, I, I definitely see the parallels there, and 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 it's not just you know coming from an African nation and right and and being a big guy and all of that. I mean he's he's not he's not bringing it all together as quickly as Embiid, but he's definitely you know just like the, the out of nowhere he breaks out a move that you had no idea that he had. Um, he he still does that occasionally, you know. I mean, and and you can tell just the way that he's learning the game and applying himself. It's very similar. Embiid has just been a freak in terms of being able to put it all together really, really quickly. Um, but you know, he's got that same side, of, same sort of work ethic, and it looks like he's got the same sort of kind of body type and ability to develop that. It's just not going to be as quick as it was with Embiid. But um, you know, it's really interesting too because he's kind of, I think. And I, and I think this is where we'll transition to next. Um, he's one of the guys that I'm torn on in terms of whether I think he's going to declare for the draft um, or if he's going to come back for another year. Like, I could see the advantage of him coming back for another year because there's still a lot that he could work on. But also in terms of potential, I mean, he's got he's got so much potential at this point. He's shown that he's able to develop his game so quickly. Um, you know, this might be the perfect time for him to go, especially if he has a big tournament. Um you know, and and obviously with our scholarship situation, we're expecting someone to leave. It's a matter of who. Like, is someone going to voluntarily leave, or are they going to end up being pushed out because of the scholarship situation? Um, you know, we'll have plenty of time to speculate about this later. But I mean, do you think it's likely that we're going to have a lot of underclassmen end up leaving and and jumping to the NBA or finding other opportunities elsewhere, especially with all the talented recruits we have coming in next year? So Azubuki for me is is the guy who's kind of on the fence. Uh, right. On the one hand, on the one hand, you know he he probably could stand to to come back. Uh, you know NBA teams aren't really drafting guys like him who don't have kind of a polished away from the rim game. You know a lot of a lot of the stuff with like uh, you know basically every big man is going to declare as well. You know can they score away from the basket and stuff? And and he obviously can't, but. At the same time, where's the best place to learn how to shoot? It's, I mean, in the NBA where you can shoot for 20 hours a day, you know. So right. declaring, and, and remember, too, I guess the other the other thing to remember here is this is the first year that he's eligible to do it. So even though he's a sophomore, you know, he's a, a year behind. So if he doesn't declare, it's not going to hurt him too much as far as getting into the league and stuff like that. But 
I don't think that there's anything wrong with him coming back, and I don't think there's anything wrong with him declaring, and he'd probably have to spend a year in the G League and stuff, but getting that kind of tutelage and, and learning how to shoot and stuff. Uh, other than other than him, I think that uh, as far as the, the next three are obviously Vic and, and Newman and, and um, what's his face, Cunliffe. Um, I think all three of those guys are, are probably gone, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. Cunliffe. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know, go ahead. I know what you're going to say, well, but yeah, go ahead. I was to say, I mean, I could see, I could see Vic coming back for a senior year, sort of like the way that Graham and and Svee came back this year. Because um, if he does come back, he is going to have a pretty big role in this team. I think he'll he'll be honestly he'll be the only senior um, that has played significant minutes this year. So um, he's he's you know self to a fault has shown how much he likes to play seniors, especially when he's got one. You know, and how much trust he puts in a senior to lead the team. So, if Vic decides to come back, he's going to have a huge role in this team. Um, I know that there's a lot of people saying, "Oh, well, with everyone we have coming in, you know, there's a possibility he may not have a lot of playing time next year." But I just, given South Mo, you know, we've talked many times about players that should have been playing over seniors. I mean, you know, when you have the year that you have, uh, oh gosh, I just uh, Tian wasn't it that played over? No, wait, who was it that that played over Relaford? I'm getting names mixed up now. Uh, Tyrell Reed. That Reed. Been- there we go. I don't know why I keep mixing up Tyrell Reed and then, and then uh, Connor Tian, but um, but yeah. Anyway, so you know when he does stuff like that, where there's a fairly clear difference in talent level, but he goes with the senior because the senior's been there and, and knows the system, and you know, and can be a good leader there. I have to think that if Vic decides to come back, he's going to have the kind of role that he would want to have here. And if he can do that and put on a big show and then increase his draft position for next year, it would make sense for him to come back. Newman, I saw some other people talking about this today and and probably yesterday too, you know, saying that he's still enough of an unknown and has shown enough flashes that he could potentially get drafted by a team and and find somewhere to stick in the league and kind of develop that way. Um, You know, or, I mean, there is a potential. I I, I think if he does come back, he is still going to have a decent role with the team, but he is definitely a guy that if he can't, you know, show himself early. We have two really good point guard recruits coming in, um, and and I'm counting Charlie Moore as a, as a you know point guard recruit coming in. Um, so it's not like we're gonna you know need him absolutely to be our point guard. Um, so I, I could I could see Newman leaving Cunliffe. I'm not really sure what to say about Cunliffe. I mean, you wouldn't think that he would transfer again, but he really has like no role on this team, and I'm having a hard time seeing who he you know stays in front of we have so many guys coming in that would jump in front of him and it's not like you know if, if Newman or Vic stay then I don't think there's any way that Cunliffe gets really any kind of significant minutes next year so I'm not sure what he would do um you know it's it's not like he's in line to be able to do like a graduate transfer thing he might have to stay one more year and kind of just sit on the bench and then do a graduate transfer at that point I'm not sure so um but yeah I mean I think that those are the three most likely guys Azabuke I could see going or staying um, but of course, everyone else is. I mean, you know, Lightfoot's not going anywhere. Obviously, DeSouza's not not able to go anywhere. Um, you know, and then we have Garrett and and uh, well, and that's it really at that point. So, all right, now that I've kind of completely dominated that conversation, any other final thoughts on those guys before we move on? No, I I think one thing just to add to is I think probably a lot of it is going to depend on if Romeo Langford tells Bill Self that he's coming. Self True. is obviously going to obviously going to make room for him you know, however he can. So uh, if a couple of those guys, obviously one has to leave uh, just for scholarship reasons. But if, if another one does, it's probably going to be because Langford uh, is coming in. Right. But that's just one of any of the underclassmen, right? Like it's not. Yeah, no, it's right. It's not. Right. So so if, I mean, Vic, Azubuke, Newman, and Cunliffe are probably the four most likely. We need one of them to leave anyway. Um or we need one guy to leave, whether it's one of those as, four. As far as, as, far as I know, yeah. Uh, and then if Langford comes, when we need two of them to go. So, But, yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree that if Langford decides to come, we will definitely find room for him. Um, you know, and, and, I mean, we have enough talent coming in, yeah, that I could see any of these guys deciding that I'm not going to get the kind of playing time that I want and, and moving on, especially guys that haven't transferred yet, um, which we don't really have a lot of those, actually, now I'm thinking about it. <laughs> so... But okay, all right. So last thing, um, real quick, we, we will have another episode. Just just for you guys out there listening, programming note: 
Um, we are working right now to try to confirm for sure um, our, our Big 12 tournament preview show. Uh, we're going to record early next week. We're probably going to record on Sunday night. We'll definitely put out a call for questions. Um, at, right now, it's looking like we're going to have Scott Chasen from uh, the Lawrence Journal World joining us for that show. So um, definitely something to look forward to. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Big 12 tournament and postseason at that point. Um, let's just do a brief look ahead to the Oklahoma State game. There's not really a lot left for Kansas to play for. Um, obviously, a loss here would hurt their chance of getting a number one seed, um, but I don't know that it's that much of a concern for for, for Coach Self. Um, you know, he's obviously going to try to win, but I, I don't know how important this game is going to be for them. Do you? I mean, do you see this a kind of a case where Oklahoma State has a really good shot at the upset just because? Kansas isn't going to take this one quite as seriously, or, or or do you think Kansas goes in and tries to put a strong finish to the season, win it, win the the league by a couple games or more, um, and then you know go in strong and, and push for that number one seed? Yeah, I think that it's, it's probably two competing things, right? I mean, they got you know punked pretty bad in the home game. I mean, let's let's call it like it is here. Oklahoma State went in and really dominated them on the offensive glass, especially in that first half there. And, and Kansas looked like they didn't even really want to be there, to be honest with you. Um, and that was that was the game that kind of prompted a lot of the, well, the streak's over talk. And, and I will admit that I was one of those people who thought that they weren't going to come back from that loss. Um, yeah, so, yeah, that, so that was a tough one. So there's, you know, wanting to avenge that. There's, there's probably some not wanting to be the first team to get swept uh, in a home-and-home and there's also, you know, probably, like you said, just a little of wanting to go definitively win the league and win it by a couple of games and end on a high note. And they can they can rest next week during the Big 12 tournament. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I think that it's natural. Their they're kids, they're looking ahead probably to the NCAA tournament and, and the Big 12 tournament a little bit. And even had in the in the postgame of the Texas game, uh, I think it was Spee who was getting interviewed and was talking all about the big 12 tournament and someone had to say, you know, uh, we still have another game, buddy, you know? So uh, I, I think, I think that they're all probably a little bit looking ahead to the big 12 tournament, which is natural to do. Uh, so I, I mean, I would, I definitely would not be surprised to see Oklahoma beat them, especially considering, I mean, Oklahoma uh, probably needs a win or two here to get into the NCAA tournament mix. Oklahoma state, uh, but yeah, yeah. Or definitely. Oklahoma state. Yeah. I'm sorry. And uh, obviously a, a win against Kansas would certainly help. Um, right now they're – I don't even see them listed in the bracket on – No, I believe uh, they were I, – I think the last I had heard they were they were in the next four out uh, of, most of, of most of the projections um, before – or I think they're actually in the next four out before they lost uh, to Texas. And then, of course, the okay. win against Iowa State didn't really do anything for them other than keep them in the conversation. If they beat Kansas, they I think they have a decent shot to be back on the bubble, and then they would need to win, I think, at least one in the Big 12 tournament. Um, at, at least one, right. probably two, to be honest, which would be another win against Kansas at that point. So, Well, and, and yeah, especially because that, that first game would just be that opening round game or whatever. That right, it would be against probably Oklahoma or Texas. Just um, anything, so right, right, or I mean, they may even be able to get it against Iowa State if they if if things uh, break right for them. Actually, I just spent a good portion of the day putting together. Um, it'll actually already be up by the time that this podcast drops, but the the Big Twelve seeding and clinching scenario preview for the weekend. So, um, you know, there are a few ways that Oklahoma State can get up there. Uh, let me see the actual the best seed that Oklahoma State can get. I believe is a seven. Um, and they could drop down to a nine. So, yeah, they could either work their way up to play Iowa State or they would be playing Oklahoma or Texas. There is one weird scenario where Oklahoma can somehow work their way all the way up to the sixth seed, um, which is really, really weird. Like, that's the only scenario that, that we wouldn't know for sure right now who the the four teams playing on Wednesday would be. But, um, but yeah, so o- Oklahoma State, I think, needs this game. Uh, to have any realistic shot at making the NCAA tournament. And they're probably going to need to beat Kansas again or, you know, potentially either West Virginia or Texas Tech. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they, they have a really tough road to get there. Uh, if they lose this game, they'll probably, you know, win the Big 12 tournament to get in. So um, I'm not really expecting Oklahoma State to put up really too much of a fight um, just because they have been playing kind of above their level for quite a while. 
um, you know, they did they did uh, not really set themselves up for this very well by beating Kansas uh, in Lawrence. Um, Kansas is definitely going to want that revenge. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not necessarily too concerned about it, but like you, I'm not really I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up dropping it because they were looking ahead. I wouldn't be surprised if Kansas, you know, drops their first game in the Big 12 tournament like last year too, just because. You know, they've got more important things to kind of look forward to. And, I, I, you know, you don't want the guys taking games off, but trying to make sure that they're healthy and that they understand what's going on in that, in that uh, NCAA tournament and being prepped for that is definitely the most important thing at this point. So Yeah, and, and we can talk about this a little bit more next week, I suppose. Yeah, and and I'd, I'd like to get, you know, someone else's thoughts on it as well, you know, if we if we do get Scott on or someone. But um for about the umpteenth year in a row, I, I really hope like their bus breaks down on the way to KC and they're just so late for the game that they have to forfeit or something. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't want them to lose really, but I also don't want them to win and have to play three games in three days. So uh, yeah, think, yeah, exactly. I think getting that rest, especially this year. I mean, some some years I'm you know fine. They need to win the tournament to get a one seed or you know nice to get them on a little roll or something like that, but. Um, although, you know, who knows with this team, maybe they do need to, to stay on this little role that they've been on. I don't know. Um, but I, I just think that with really, I mean, six guys that you can really kind of depend on and, and honestly, maybe even like five guys that you can really depend on, it's probably better to just go into the NCAA tournament, uh, nice and fresh and yeah, not having to play is, three games in three days to get there. That is interesting to think about, you know, like what happened if for some, for some reason KU just wasn't able to show up? Um, you know, they would obviously lose by forfeit because they wouldn't be there for the game. But I, I have a hard time imagining anyone would hold that against them seating wise. You know, obviously people would, would, would talk about the fact that, man, they weren't able to, you know, find their way to an arena that's 45 minutes away. Um, but yeah, aside from being a, a, a national, you know, joke for a couple days while people talk about how they couldn't get there, um, it wouldn't really affect their seating and, and they wouldn't have to play in that game. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting thing to think about. Obviously, there's no way that uh, they're ever going to get out of there without you know without either winning and, and propping up that seed or taking a loss that probably is going to keep well. It's going to give them a chance for people to talk about them not being on the one line. Like I think if, if KU wins out and wins the Big Twelve tournament, then they'll end up getting on that one line. But um, to be honest, I'm not so sure that that's necessarily you know that that uh, crucial for them this year because. One most likely means that they're going out west, and and I, I'm talking about a bunch of stuff that we're probably going to talk about next week. So let, let's go ahead and cut that off right here now. Um, okay. So any any other final thoughts about what's you know what's happened here? Or these the the seniors. Anything else about this season so far? Uh, well, let's yeah let's let's talk about the seniors here really quick. The rest of them we talked about Clay Young, so I suppose we should talk about Fee and Graham, and then we can uh, we can get out of here. Um, he was a guy who uh, I obviously was on the bandwagon immediately when he committed. You know, he committed super young out of Ukraine. Uh, still is, I believe, the youngest player to play in the, the Nike Hoop Summit game, which is the the best and most prestigious of those high school all-star games. Right. Um, didn't play in it, I don't think, or, or just played a little bit, uh, obviously because of his age. But uh, started off uh, a little bit slow. Didn't really get a ton of playing time in his first two years, which... Uh, understandable given his age and, and given some of the talent that they have on those teams. But last year really kind of came into his own and, and shot almost 40% uh, from three. This year, obviously, he's at 45% from three. Uh, turned himself into one of the best shooters, I think, in, in Kansas history, it would be fair to say, given some of the some of the shots that he has to take with, you know, guys in his face. And, and he's one of those guys, and we'll talk about this with Graham too, but he's one of those guys where, you just kind of give it to him and say, hey, you know, go go do what you want. Um, so, you know, I, I think obviously everyone talks about his defense, uh, which is not great. Um, but I think he's gotten a little bit better, especially on the ball, where you can't really isolate a, a guy on speed and just say, hey, go to work, and you're going to score on him. Definitely he still gets lost off the ball, which is something that I, I hope doesn't sink them going forward in March here, but on the ball, he's gotten a lot better, but again, I mean, I don't, you know, between Graham and Spee, if you could have one of those guys taking a three to win an NCAA tournament game for you, I think we would take that all day long. Right, either one. <laughs> so, yeah. Which, which honestly, I don't think I've, 
I don't think I've ever seen a pair of shooters that I've been confident about either one of them. Like usually we have two or even three guys that are good shooters, but there's a clear guy that you want, you know, taking that shot down three with just a few seconds left. Like there's, you know, there's one specific guy on each team that you want to do that. Now, I mean, if, if, if Graham kicks it over to speed so he can do it or Graham decides to just take it himself. I mean, either way, I feel really good about that shot. So, um, but you know, just, I mean, talking about what these guys have meant, meant to these, these teams, um, you know, the four years that they've been here. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I was also pretty high on Svi, although I think it was just because of how young he was and how much, you know, he was going to be able to develop um, for a couple of years. And that probably meant that we were going to be able to keep him for all four years. Um, I kind of have a soft spot for the four-year players um, just because, you know, we have the most time to get to know them, to see them develop, and to really get a real appreciation for how good this coaching staff is and how well they're able to develop guys. And then, just to, you know, how much these guys are able to grow. Um, and so, I was definitely glad to see a couple four-year guys. Uh, I was really shocked to see both of them come back, if if you remember from some of our earlier episodes last year. Uh, but I'm I'm really glad they did. Obviously, it made a huge difference for this team. Um, you know, and and I mean, I, I can't think of you know. I, I think it's a foregone conclusion at this point that Devonte Graham is probably going to find his way to get his jersey up in the rafters. Um, you know, Frank Mason is obviously a lock to get his, uh, but Devonte should be following him pretty quickly after that. I mean, the, the, the kind of career that he's put up and I don't see how he doesn't get the kind of national honors this year that would allow him to have his Jersey retired as well. So, um, really, really excited for these guys. I'm hoping that we can send them out on a high note and, you know, maybe we can get them to that final four that, that Mason never was able to get to. Um, probably, you know, the biggest regret from these guys, from those teams was that, you know, a, a guy like Mason uh, wasn't able to get to the final four. So hopefully we can avoid that, that same fate for these guys. So, uh, Just just one quick note here. Spee is probably going to finish his career fourth all-time in uh, KU history in threes. He needs 18 to pass uh, Kirk Heinrich, which oh, wow. uh, they have a maximum of, of 10 games left, uh, obviously, if they – make it all the way to the title game and win the Big 12 tournament. So, you know, if they get knocked out early in the Big 12 tournament or something like that, uh, that could impact it a little bit. But he's got a pretty good chance uh, of doing it. Devontae Graham would need to go insane uh, in order to catch Jeff Boshi for most threes ever. He is like 60 behind or something like that. So even if they do play all 10 games, he still needs to make That's only six, six, a game. six a game. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if, I, I tell you what, uh, as big of a Jeff Boshi fan uh, as I am, uh, Devontae Graham can definitely make six threes a game for the next ten games. I will be more than okay with that. Uh, right, right. So if, if he's able to take over that lead from, from Boshi, I think not only would it mean that we're having a phenomenal postseason, um, and so that in and of itself would be an awesome thing. You know, I, I – I, I dare say that Graham might be pushing Boshi on that list of your your favorite guys. Probably not passing him, but at least pushing to make him pretty close up there. Yeah, no one no one's gonna pass him unless I like have a kid who plays for Kansas. But uh, definitely, I mean, and and Graham is is one of my favorites uh, already. To be honest with you, I just think that he's had such an underrated uh, career, and a lot of that has to come with playing on the the same team as Frank Mason uh, last year and, and trying to follow up this season. But even just, you know, having to play on the same team as, as Perry Ellis, um, you know, Perry Ellis was a, a beloved player as well, being from Kansas and everything. And uh, definitely not, not to say that Graham is not, you know, loved by the fans because you can obviously watch oh, yeah, him definitely. and see that he certainly is, but uh, just kind of probably got overshadowed and, and definitely took a, a backseat uh, in terms of the offense with, letting kind of Mason do his thing and, and letting Perry Ellis do his thing. And now it's Graham's turn to do his thing. And he's definitely proving uh, that he's up for it. And, and I think people were, um, you know, maybe not expecting him to to do what Frank Mason did last year, but kind of expecting that type of value. And he definitely hasn't done it in the same way. He's not shooting as well as Frank did, um, obviously taking a lot more threes, uh, but not, not shooting as well as Frank did inside the arc. But um, I, I tweeted this out before the um, before the Texas game. I, I think it's a little different now, but uh, he was drawing the same number of fouls uh, per 40 minutes 
in Big 12 play that Frank Mason did last year. And, you know, you, all you think of with Frank Mason is driving to the lane and, and getting fouls. So for Devontae Graham to equal that uh, is pretty impressive. And then just some of the threes that he can make um, is just incredible. I haven't I haven't I have not seen a player uh do that ever before. So Yeah, this uh, is ridiculous. Definitely. It, it it seems like every year there's a guy where it's like, man, how it's gonna be so weird to watch Kansas basketball without X. I mean, two years ago I was like, Man, it's gonna be weird to watch it without Perry Ellis and then right. last and then year it was last wow, year it's gonna be <laughs> right. And so next year it's gonna be like, Man, how can you watch Kansas basketball without Devontae Graham? So Whoever's going to take up that mantle next year, whether it be one of these freshmen coming in or, or one of the transfers or uh, whoever, um, definitely have some some pretty big shoes to fill. Well, and to kind of speak to that real quick, and I know you got to get out of here, but uh, um, you know, I think next year is kind of the first year that we haven't had a guy that is most likely going to take over that mantle. I mean, like when when Ellis right. was leaving, it was it was pretty certain that Frank Mason was going to be the leader of the team. When when, when Mason was leaving. You know, Devontae Graham was going to be the leader of the team as long as he came back. Um, so, I mean, yep. going into the year, we were pretty sure who it was going to be. This next year, I'm not really sure. I mean, yeah. if, if if Newman comes back, he might, but he's only been here a year. Um, you know, all the other transfers – oh, I guess I'm sorry. He's been here two years, um, including all these, all these you know, that, that, that transfer year. But we've got tons of other transfers that have, you know, been able to play really well – we got a bunch of new guys coming in. There's going to be so much young blood on this team that it's going to be really, really hard to know going in who's going to be like the leader of the team. We, I mean, we could probably ask ten different people and they would give us ten different answers, and no one would have any clue who's actually going to be right. Like it would be, a, I think it's going to be a complete shock next year when we think about who's the 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 alpha dog on on the team next year. Um, so, I mean, in in a way, yeah, it's really hard to imagine because at least last year. When you know Frank was gone, uh, you know we we knew enough about Devontae Graham to kind of know what his style was going to be and how we thought he was going to lead. You know, and 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 if you remember coming into the year, I said very very clearly that you know Devontae Graham is going to lead just like Mason did, but in a completely different way. He wasn't going to be that drive and score kind of point guard. He was going to be uh, an, an assist and then shooting from, from long range kind of point guard. And I mean, that, that came true. We, we knew what kind of player Devontae Graham was going to be and how that was going to influence the team. We have no clue how that's going to go next year. And it's going to be really fun to talk about in the summer. It'll give us plenty of things to talk about because nobody will have any definitive idea of what they're talking about. And so we can have all kinds of debates about it, but it is kind of scary at the same time to think about the fact that, you know, we don't have a clear leader going into next team or going into the next year um, so Bill Self is going to have a lot of fun trying to figure out who that's going to be. So, all oh, right. one one Go one ahead. final thing: uh, Devontae Graham is probably the best player in college basketball history who looks like he just took his driver test uh, like three days ago. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So yeah, I think we'll, th- th- there's obviously a lot of other things we could talk about. Um, there's been a lot of talk about Devontae Graham potentially getting consideration for National Player of the Year. I think we'll leave that till next week to talk about. Um, we'll let people you know, discuss that in the comment section, uh, whatever they want to do. So um, real quick, before we get out of here, did did you have, a, you know, the Olympics are over, but uh, it's kind of been our, our, our tradition for a while for you to have a random sports minute. Do you have one coming out of the Olympics or do we need to give you a week to recharge and think of another one? Uh, well, I, I mean, I guess I'll just say, you know, great Olympics, kind of, kind of sad that it's over the first like week after the Olympics, just because it's like, it's constantly on and all that stuff. So now you have to wait two and a half years for the summer ones. Um, probably yeah. we'll wait a while to do the summer Olympics uh, preview, but I will just say uh, <laughs> America seems to be caught up in uh, curling mania, which you should be. Oh yeah. Um, God. If, if you're looking for ways uh, to watch uh, more curling, ESPN three has a lot of stuff going on. Um, actually next week starts the Canadian uh, curling championships, and then the rest you can go to a website called uh, 12th End Sports Network, which is T-E-N, no, excuse me, T-E-S-N dot U-S, and they will air a lot of, like, the U.S. national championships and stuff, which uh, the U.S. national championships are at, like, the end of March. Um, so there's there's plenty of ways to watch curling if you're kind of funny that caught up in, yeah, you don't have, you don't have to wait until 2022. <laughs> But it's it's just kind of funny that the national championships happen after the Olympics instead of you know being before for qualifying. Right. 
Right. Um, yeah, well, the the reason is is it's the qualifying for the World Championships, which are every year in, uh, like, June uh, okay. or something like that. So, it's a, yeah, it's a different... Uh, Shows how much I paid attention to curling before the Olympics, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, yeah. The, uh, I, I actually the, tried to watch that live, that, that final. Got about halfway through it and fell asleep before all the excitement that happened in the end of that match. So. Oh, I did. I did watch it live. It was yeah, pretty. So uh, I, I ended up. I think I actually I tweeted at you the next day before the replay came. Oh, on. that's right. Is it worth watching? And someone I don't even know who it was. Some random person said, "Yeah, definitely, especially if you haven't seen that eighth end." So, um, yeah, that was. But you know, I, I got my kids interested in curling too. Before they were just kind of like, you know, what is this sliding rocks down the ice? But once they actually got into the rules and saw, you know, the strategy that's involved, my daughter, I believe it was, actually said, this is, this is like a lot of thinking, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah, it really is. I mean, there's a lot of strategy involved. It's a very cerebral game, um, but it's enjoyable to watch, especially for, the, for those that like to think about that strategy and, you know, thinking a couple moves ahead. So, all right. Any other final thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, nope, that's good. That's going to be it for me, I think. All right, sounds good. So, yeah, thank you guys for listening, Fetch. Thanks again for joining me. Um, as always, guys, you, you can contact us on Twitter at Rock Chalk Talk. You can email us at uh, rctsbn at gmail.com. Um, you can contact both Fetch and I individually. Obviously, we're always on the site. Um, you can leave comments, and, and we'll have plenty of discussions with you guys there. Um, we do want your guys' feedback. If you have any suggestions, if you have any topics you want us to talk about, um, any, any hot takes you want to you know, get off on the show, uh, or any questions for us, definitely go ahead and send those to us, and, and we'll try to get them incorporated in the show. Um, you know, we will uh, you know, uh, find us on, on iTunes, rate us, subscribe, like us, all that fun stuff. It really does help get our, our presence out there and get more people listening. There's a lot of good KU podcasts on there. Um, but I, w- I would put ours up with all the rest of them. Um, so definitely help us get our name out there. Um, but once again, uh, thanks, thanks for listening to us, guys. And we will catch you next time on the Rock Chalk Talk podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.